0: And in Colossians 3, 11 to 17, and verse 20, that will serve as the basis of our sermon this evening. Last week, the sermon was two children and four children and about children. And this week, I want all of you children to listen up for just a moment because this sermon is about parents. It is for parents and about parents and to parents. And last week, I asked your parents to make sure that you were listening to the sermon. But this week, I want you kids to make sure that your mommies and daddies are listening to the sermon. So nudge them with your elbow, poke on their leg. Ask them throughout the sermon, did you hear that? He was talking to you. Do all those things to make sure mommy and daddy are listening to this sermon. For this is God's word to them and for them. And it will be for your good, for your sake, if they listen to these things. The word of God in Colossians three eleven to 17 and 20 is the basis of our sermon this evening. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. And the word of God says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add His blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of His word. And all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. Eugene Peterson says in a recent tweet that when God called Abraham and Sarah to be our ancestors in the faith, the decisive act was to make them parents. Paul writes a letter to the Colossians and he addresses... The fathers, he addresses the parents of the children in the church. Now, I do want to say at the outset that there are two ways to look at this word "father" that appears in the text. It can refer to the daddies of the children exclusively, or it can refer to the parents of the children inclusively. And there are both argue, there are good arguments for both of these views. I don't want to get into all the nitty gritty of that, but this evening I will be addressing parents, both mommies and daddies, as I believe that the idea here is that mothers and fathers are addressed together, that mothers are addressed through the fathers, because the fathers are the head of the family, they are mentioned first. But mothers are also included in this. So this sermon, you can tell by the title, that these are rules for parents. And I want the parents of all of our little children to be listening uh, this evening. So again, little children, I need your help. I need you to make sure that your mommy and daddy are listening to these things from God's Word. In the context of the letter to the Colossians... We discover who these parents are, and as we've done every week for the last several weeks, we go back through the context of Colossians and discover that these parents are described as saints and faithful members of the church. That these parents are people who are filled with faith, hope, and love. That they were once alienated from God, and now they are reconciled to Him. They have received Christ the Lord and they are walking in Him. They are filled up in Christ. They are members of this covenant community, circumcised without hands, human hands, in the crucifixion of Jesus. These parents have been baptized into the death and life of Christ, buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through the faithful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. These parents have been made alive by God. They've died to the elemental spirits of the world in union with Christ and they are raised with Christ to celestial realms. These parents are undergoing spiritual formation and putting off the old self and putting on the new self just like you are doing. And so the bottom line is that Paul is not addressing just any and every mother and father in the world, just any and every ordinary parent. He is addressing baptized Christians, members of God's covenant family who are growing up in union with Christ. So these parents are Christian parents, Christian mothers and fathers, just like you. Now, it might sound strange to you, but this kind of teaching would have been entirely surprising to the average citizen of the city of Colossae. In that world... It was not uncommon for Greeks and Jews to have very different views of children and how to bring children up. And now Paul introduces a third way of bringing up children and a way of perceiving children that has a way of shaking both the Jewish and the Greek community. This church is made up of Greeks and Jews who had come together in the body of Christ, and even though they all find their true identity in Christ, who is all and in all, they still have some cultural baggage and influence to shake off. So when Paul says what he says to the fathers and mothers of this church, Jews and Greeks must have perked up and thought, wow, this is really unique. And here's why. In the Greco-Roman world, if you were a Greek father, a Roman father, you had, by law, total authority over your family, over your children, and you could do with your children anything you wanted. And I will spare you some of the nitty-gritty things of what fathers did to their children, but there were fathers who, if they wanted to abandon their child, they did. If they wanted to send their kid off for adoption, they did. If they wanted to use their kid as a slave, they did. They did whatever they wanted with their children. In the Greco-Roman world, children were valued for their present, uh, as one scholar says, they were valued for their um, future contribution to the family business, especially if you lived in an agricultural context. But otherwise, children possessed little, if any, intrinsic value as human beings. That was the Greco-Roman view of children. So you've got people who had that view of children now as members of the church, and they're learning what it's like to be a Christian parent. Then you had Jewish people who viewed their children in a much better way, presumably a much better way than the Greeks and the Romans did. For God had spoken to His people through His law and given children a high value among His people The law of God required fathers and mothers to instruct and correct their children according to the Word of God. The law commanded children to honor their father and their mother that it might go well with them. And so what you see is that you have different uh cultures coming together, different kinds of people coming together. And Paul doesn't say, well, this one's bad and that one's good. He says, look, whether you're Jew or Greek, there is a way to bring your kids up. There is a way to see your kids, to treat your kids. And Christian moms and dads, you need to see them as God teaches you to see them in light of Christ. And so the gospel calls parents to a higher standard than either Greeks or Jews had. The situation for Christian children in Colossae, and then historically, has been much better. Christian children, by and large, grow up in a healthier, safer home environment, and it's much better for them. So in contrast to the world around them, whether Greek or Jew, Christian parents are called to take a genuine interest in their children as God's children. They are to see them as members of the covenant community with them, that they're all part of God's family together. And so they are to treat their children differently. They may treat them with a tough and tender love, as some other cultures might, but this is a love that is reflective of the love that God the Father has for the parents. The same love that mommies and daddies experience is the love that children should experience from God the Father as well. So what are these Christian parents to do? Well, Paul makes it very clear in Colossians 3.21 that parents are not to provoke their children. There are a lot of things when you hear, well, there's going to be a sermon about parenting. You might imagine all of these different things you're going to hear, but it's not likely that you expected to hear this. At least I wouldn't have. Parents, do not provoke your children. The word provoke means to stir them up, to agitate them, to push their buttons, to nitpick and nag them to the point of angering and frustrating them. I've seen that happen in other families. Uh, Maybe you have as well. So it's insightful that Paul brings this to our attention. A lot of different ways to provoke our kids to wrath. Some parents provoke their children to wrath by being too hard on them in one way. Other parents provoke their children to wrath by being too soft on them in other ways. And it's clear by scripture and by our experience that we can provoke our children to wrath when we use unfair weights and measures, when we keep our children off balance with ever changing expectations. When we hold our children to a different standard than the one to which we hold ourselves. When we move the target around and still expect them to hit a bullseye, you can see how that would provoke children to wrath. So in short, we provoke our children to wrath when we're always finding fault with them. And they're not always finding favor with us. You can see how that would provoke anger and frustration in the parent-child relationship. Now, it's often the case that parents who want to obey God's Word on this point, parents who do not want to provoke their children to wrath, will go out of their way to make sure that their kids are not provoked in any way. In other words, they want to make sure their kids always feel happy and never feel sad. We don't want to upset the balance of the child or disrupt our family evening. R.C. Sproul Jr. Jr. puts it this way in his book on parent-child relationships, Bound for Glory. We wrongly think Paul is saying be careful not to overdo it. What you need to do is leave some room in which your children can go out and sin and disobey. Give them free reign when they turn two. Expect them to be rebellious in their teens. Don't clamp down or it will make it worse. But is that what Paul meant when he said, do not provoke your children? No. No. If we let Scripture interpret Scripture, the Spirit shows us what Paul meant. So in an effort to not keep repeating himself, Paul gives you a short version in Colossians 3 of a longer thing he said in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, the alternative to provoking our children is not to pamper them, but to prepare them in the doctrine and discipline of the Lord. That means we must bring them up in the culture of Christ. We must help them to grow up under the cross and under the crown of our Lord and Savior Jesus, just like we do. Now, this is all just part and parcel of the disciple-making mission of the church. For Christian parents, it looks like this. The mission begins at home in our families. In the Gospels, Jesus says that disciples are students and servants. He says that disciples are made first by baptizing people in the triune name of God, and then they are made by teaching them to obey all of Jesus' teaching. So a disciple is a baptized student and servant of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not the end of a journey for anyone. It is the beginning of a person's walk with God, and then the rest of the life is spent improving upon one's baptism, growing in the grace and knowledge of God, doing God's will as a baptized Christian. So parents, you are called to make disciples of your children, and that discipleship begins at home. That's why you present your children to the Lord for baptism. That's why you pray with your children. That's why you teach them to obey Jesus. Now, mom and Dad, if you don't bring up your children in the culture of Christ, then you will be guilty of provoking your children to wrath. If you don't bring your children up under the cross and under the crown of Jesus, you will end up provoking your children towards hell. And so, this is serious uh, instruction that Paul is giving us. But if we bring them up in the doctrine and discipline of the Lord, we will prepare them for life both life here and now and the life to come, the life that is truly life, both in this world and in the world to come. It is life that is in Christ. Now, contrary to popular opinion, Holding our children to God's high standard and nudging them to trust and obey God's Word is not the thing that provokes them to wrath. It is the thing that prevents them from going to hell. It is the thing that prohibits them from living a life unleashed that will end up in wrath. So what provokes children to wrath is withholding from them the grace and truth of the gospel or holding them to man's ever-changing low standards or neglecting to nudge them towards faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. Those are things that nudge children or provoke children to wrath. Now, moms and dads, we need to learn... How to talk to our kids. We need to learn to treat our children differently at different times and in different ways. So that means we need to learn how to talk to our children and how to talk to each of our children differently. Because you might have figured out in your experience of raising children that no two children are alike. Talking to children, you think, would be as natural as hugging and kissing and feeding them. You think it would be foundational to a parent-child relationship, and it is. But I got to tell you, talking to children is tough. It's hard work, isn't it? Especially when you need to talk about uh, sensitive things, important things. It can be challenging. In his book, The Baptized Body, Peter Lightheart explains the formative power of talking to our children from infancy on. And we've all done it. Some of you talked to your children while they were still in the womb. Some of you let them listen to music while they were in the womb. They were certainly listening to things whether you intended for them to listen or not. So it's formative language and speech and talk is formative. So Peter Lightheart says, All parents speak to their infants and do not expect the child to understand or talk back for many months. They see nothing irrational in this. They speak to their children, not because they think the infant understands all that is being said or because they expect an immediate response. They speak to their children so that the children will learn to understand and talk back. And if you haven't figured this out by now, they do learn to talk back. Especially when they hit the teen years. Talking to your children is so important that God commands you to do it morning, noon, and night. As we heard in the Scripture reading from Deuteronomy 6, you shall teach the words of God diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Mommies and daddies, you must teach your children the truths of God's Word, and that means you must talk to them. In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp says, communication must be multifaceted and richly textured. It must include encouragement, correction, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, teaching, and prayer. All these must be part of your interaction with your children. You must modify your speech to suit the need of the moment. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Differing conditions in the hearer require differing forms of speaking. You do great harm when you fail to discern what type of communication is appropriate to the moment. So Tripp has taken Paul's instructions to a congregation, and then he wisely applies them to parents as they relate to their children. Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with all your children. And to do each of those things requires you to speak differently to your different kids at different times. As I mentioned a moment ago, no two kids are the same. Each one of your kids is unique And you might have seen this in your own families that you can raise your voice to one kid and get his full attention. But raise your voice to another one of your kids and she will tune you out. You can speak softly to one kid and she will tremble with fear. But speak softly to another kid and he might just blow it off. You can discipline one kid with just words, the power of your words. But another kid requires a little bit more than words. So mommies and daddies, you've got to make every effort to get to know your different children differently. And you got to take time to talk to each of them as individuals and find out what makes each one of them tick. And if that sounds like hard work, well, it is. And whether you knew it or not, that's exactly what you signed up for when you had kids. Your kids have good days and bad days. Am I right, kids? You have good days and you have bad days. You pass through different seasons of life. The body is changing. Chemical reactions are happening. Hormonal changes take place. All kinds of things are going on in a kid's life. And moms and dads, it's up to you to know your kids, to detect their mood, to detect their state of being, to, to detect and be aware of what's happening in their life, to read the different signs they're giving you, and to talk to them accordingly. None of us are perfect at this. We struggle at this, but it's a goal to which we must aspire. The reason we do these things, Paul makes it very clear, the reason we do these things and make every effort to learn to communicate in different ways to different people is so that our children will be encouraged in the Lord and not discouraged. The word discouraged here does not mean disappointed or upset. That's bound to happen in any family, in any discipline Situation. But the word discouraged that Paul uses here means dispirited. This is what happens when the wind is taken out of their sails. This is what happens when the breath is knocked out of their lungs. This is what happens when their joy is killed or their spirit is quenched and they're left feeling dead inside. And there is nothing that takes the wind out of a child's sails, nothing that sucks the life out of a child like a verbally abrasive, emotionally manipulative, or physically abusive parent. Now, I know that some of you and I'm talking to you adults, I know that some of you grew up with mothers and fathers who mistreated you in exactly those ways. And I know that some of you are still haunted by those memories. You're still hurt by those words. You're still trying to heal from some of those wounds. And I know that what happened to you was terrible, and horrible, but you need to know that it was contrary to God's design for families. It was more Greco Roman than Christian. This is not what Christian families are about. And I would never want to minimize those experiences that you had at all, and that's not my intent now, but I do want to magnify the Lord and encourage you to do the same. And I want you to know that that right now by the love of God the Father and by the grace of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can break that cycle in your own family. That you can begin anew and you can bring up your kids and help bring up your grandkids in the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, what you experience doesn't have to keep Going on, and it doesn't have to be experienced by others. The gospel has the power to change families. Now, as you do what Paul commanded you here not provoke your children, keep them from being discouraged, I want you to know that there will be times when your children are going to feel sad. They might even get angry with you because you're trying to bring them up in the Lord and the world is tugging at them and you've got enemies all around and you're engaged in a spiritual warfare. You're trying to wage war against sin in your own life and in their life. Wage war against flesh, your own and theirs. Wage war against the devil. Your children will shed tears and they will throw fits. But don't let those crocodile tears fool you. They're going to be disgruntled at times. They will think you are the enemy. Do not tell them that you are their friend. You are their parent, their mommy and daddy. When you bring them up according to the Word of God, no matter how disgruntled they might feel, no matter how disappointed they might act, you can know in your heart of hearts, that they are not becoming discouraged. This struggle is simply a part of the discipline of cross-bearing. As the Spirit says in Hebrews 12, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us as well as they knew how, and most of us respect them for it. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant in the moment, but later on we see the undeniable results of it, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So mommies and daddies, discipline your children according to the word of the Lord, and they will not be discouraged, but encouraged. And take it from someone who's been trying to do this for a few years now, you can only do this with God's help. You will fail at some days. You will not do everything that you wanted to do. You will do some things incorrectly. You will make mistakes. But with God's help, things will get better day by day. And God will help you. And He will help you do it. The thing that you must do, as we've said each week, is you must make every effort to put on the Lord Jesus Christ to clothe yourselves with merciful and compassionate hearts towards your children, to put on a general, friend, a general friendliness and tenderness towards your children, to remember to put yourself in your child's shoes and try to see things from their perspective and remember what it's like to be a kid. Play with them, wrestle with them, laugh with them, color with them, read books with them, watch cartoons with them. That describes humility enough, doesn't it? Meekness. Bridle your tongue and bring your thoughts and feelings under control. Show them what it's like to bear the cross in that way. Don't be so hasty and don't be in such a hurry. Don't expect them to move as fast or efficiently as you do. Slow down so they can keep up. Take your time because the time is going to pass. Time is going to pass more quickly than you know. You need to put up with their silliness and their clumsiness and try to enjoy it while it lasts. Show grace to your children. They're going to stumble and they're going to sin just like you do. But you need to show them the way to Christ. Remember, your children are not the enemy. They're struggling in the world like you. Their struggle is real. But the struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against a darker enemy than that. Feed your heart, your soul, and your mind on God's word, mom and dad. And then you will be able to feed your children more than cereal and ham sandwiches And potatoes and carrots, you'll be able to give them Christ with all the milk and honey and bread and meat that the Word of God offers. And last but certainly not least, thank God for your children early and often. Thank God for your children early and often. And if you do these things, you'll soon discover the joys of bringing up your children in the Lord. The joys of watching your children grow up under the cross and under the crown of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who sets the lonely in families, we commend to you, to your continual care, the homes in which your people dwell. Put far from them, we ask you, every root of bitterness, the desire of vain glory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who have been made one flesh in holy marriage. Turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and the hearts of the children to the parents. And turn our hearts to God the Father in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so kindle fervent charity among us all that we may evermore be kind and affectionate to one another. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.